And I hope you'll have your Bibles open to Romans. But we're going to, uh, before we get there, we're going to use our catechism question this morning to lead into our sermon uh, at the end of Romans chapter 1. You'll see up on the screen question 6 from the New City Catechism. How can we glorify God? And would you read this answer with me together? We glorify God by enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, and by obeying His will, commands, and law. I wonder what you think of that. I'm not asking you to critique it theologically. I'm just asking if you like it. I like that first part. I mean, who doesn't want a life, a relationship with joy, with love, with the security that comes when you have someone you know you can trust, someone you can count on, someone you can depend on, who's going to be there for you. Who doesn't want a relationship of love, uh, of trust that you can enjoy? Then you get to that obey part. Mm. So I got to do what God wants. I got I got to follow his rules. And we, we don't we just sort of react to that. We, we don't like that. Like, I, so I don't get to do what I want? You mean, I, I don't get to make the rules? You know, I, c- commands, I'd like to be the one that gives the orders around here. That's, that's kind of what we typically do. If that's your gut instinct, you are not alone. In fact, that's the story of the entire human race. From the Garden of Eden all the way to right here in Ogle County. It's about people believing that their good is somehow incompatible with God's glory. Like my best interests and God's best interests, his self-interests, don't go together. They're in competition. So we say, well, I don't want to trust and obey God. I want to do what I think is good for me. But God says to us, He says in his word, he said, down through the centuries to each one, he says, do what I say. It is for your good. Trust me. I love you. I want what's best for you. And when we love him back, enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and yes, obeying him, and in obeying him, honoring him, honoring him as we love him and obey him, we find that God's glory does not come at our expense. It's not that at all. He's good to us. He's good for us. And all this plays into the theme that we've used for Paul's letter to the Romans, glory in the gospel. The reason why people need God's salvation is because humankind is under God's wrath, having traded away the glory of God. We're going to be focusing this morning on verses 24 to 32, but I'm going to start the reading back in verse 16 so we can hear the context. So Romans 1, 16 for the reading. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness excuse me, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For or because also The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, uh, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's a hard passage to read, hard place to stop. Uh, but but this, is, this is going to be more than enough for us to handle today, to try to get our heads around. And I continue to read going back to verses 16 because we've got to read this in the context of the good news that Paul is getting to. This is pretty bad, bleak, ugly stuff, but it's in the context of where this is going the message of the good news, which is why uh, we phrased our, our theme last week and also this week's bad news before good news. Those who will not glorify God will degrade themselves on their way to death. And there, there's a connection there. We, if we won't glorify God, we will not glorify ourselves. We will be inglorious. We will degrade ourselves This is the theme of the sermon today, and I'm going to use four phrases from our passage as signposts for the sermon. You'll see the outline on the back of the worship folder, and that might help you to follow along. They'll also be up here on the screen. So here's part one. God gave them up. A willful ignorance of God leads to foolish idolatry and gross immorality. Gross there meaning not like icky, gross as in just complete uh, just total, utter immorality, all right? Whew. All right, we, we covered eight, verses 18 to 23 last week, and beca- but because verse 24 begins with the word, therefore, we have to understand these, how these verses link together. And it really is one section, uh, which is why we've read the whole thing um, both weeks, but we had to break it down for these sermons. Um, so you, you could pull it together this way. So there's willful ignorance, Verse 21 again, for although they knew God, they did not honor him, uh, also could be translated, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So willful ignorance leads to foolish idolatry. Next verse, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and images... uh, mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That foolish idolatry next leads to gross immorality. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And then in verse 25 and 26, he kind of circles back again, idolatry and immorality in the verses uh, beyond. So follow that sequence. Okay, all right, that's interesting to notice that sequence, that progression, although there's not progress, it is regress or whatever else you want to call it. We're going in the wrong direction, folks. Um, We need to realize where this starts. Okay, it's one thing to see the sequence, but the significance is to where it all starts. See, it's not a problem for us to look around in our world and see all the, the ugliness of things that he mentions later, of murder, of, of shootings uh, every week in Chicago or, or killing uh, uh, people slain around the world, uh, murder, deceit, uh, lies uh, in, in media, government, uh, corporations, uh, in your family, I, I don't know, um, slander, um, all, all these things later in the passage, it's easy to see all that ugliness in the world, even non-Christians recognize these things as morally wrong. But these wrongs done against other people originate 
in rebellion against God. That's the, that's the key. That's the understanding of the sequence. You've got, got to go back. Where does it all start? What, how, how did this begin? It, it originated in rebellion against God. And see, once you, once you close your eyes and ears to God, that, that willful ignorance, and decide to make your own gods or to make up your own rules uh, to say, well, you know, maybe I, I should be at the center of the universe. You will be corrupted. There will be chaos. Corruption, you personally. Chaos in society. This is why the, this sequence and the significance of, of the rebellion against God at the root of all the other evils that we see in our world, it's why the Ten Commandments... Uh, that include things like you shall not murder and you shall not steal, uh, sins that we, evils that we commit one against another, start, the Ten Commandments start with what? You shall have no other gods before me. And you shall make no carved images. You, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. Willful ignorance of God and foolish idolatry. That's, that's where, where it has to start. Now, we'll see, um, of, of course, both true worship, the right worship of God, and uh, an ordered society are both good things. But the foundation for a loving home, the foundation for a peaceful community, the foundation for a, uh, the kind of a nation, uh, a godly people, has to be a true knowledge of God and right worship of Him. Now, we're going to see later in Romans that, the, that even the Ten Commandments, as good as they are, are not enough to change a people. You can, put, you can post the Ten Commandments in your courthouse. That doesn't necessarily is going to make, uh, bring down crime. It's just going to say that like, this is the standard. Um, the, the law is not enough to change a people, to redeem a society, which is why we need the gospel the good news, to the message about Jesus to call people back to God through Jesus Christ so that they come to repentance and faith, that they bow the knee. Every knee will bow. We need to bow the knee today in repentance and faith and then being renewed by the Spirit. When we deal with the God issue, the worship issue, we're getting at the root of the wickedness issue. That's why we need to see this sequence. Now, from one perspective, from this perspective, it's, you could say, well, it seems like a fairly natural progression. Someone who ignores God eventually becomes immoral. And, that's, and Paul's not just talking about individuals and people. He's talking about the human race. This is just how it worked in history and in our own experience, time, and place. But there's another way that we need to look at this, not just kind of the natural progression. Uh, God is involved. He is engaged. This is why we need to pay attention to that phrase repeated three times that I use for the heading, God gave them up. Verse 24, verse 26, verse 28. Again, 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 he says it. What does this mean? God gave them up. Why does he say it? Why does he do, why does God do that? Well, to clarify, it does not mean God gave up on them. Like, I can't do anything with these people. Forget them. That's not what it means. No, in, in fact, pay attention. The overarching message of this book, not just the letter to the Romans, but the whole Bible is about God's rescue operation. It's about his power and his wisdom and his grace and his mercy to save sinners, though the unrepentant will be condemned. But we, we shouldn't skip so quickly to the to, to ahead uh, beyond this this sin and guilt and condemnation and death so quickly that we miss how sobering it is to say that God gave them up, which is to say they didn't want God, and so God let them have what they want, what they wanted. That's what that means. To, he gave them up. He gave them other translation, translations. He gave them over. He just he he handed them over to their own evil devices. What they wanted to do, he let them have it. Now, I believe this passage says that this giving up is the present experience of God's wrath. Here's, here's what I mean by that. So last week, we looked br- very briefly at uh, chapter 2, verse 5, which mentions the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 
Okay, a day of wrath, judgment day, we're talking about, a day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. But 118, which we read earlier, the beginning of this section, 118 says God's wrath is revealed. Now. And so in that progression from willful ignorance to foolish idolatry, and God says, okay, go, go ahead, run with it. That letting go, that giving them over is an expression of God's wrath. God is letting them have what they want and the consequences that come with it. Now, mo- most of you know the story of the prodigal son, Jesus' parable, his, his story that he made up to illustrate, to teach uh, people in his day. It's found in Luke 15. You, uh, if you don't know it, you, you need to, to read it this afternoon, but I'll, I'll summarize it. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story about a wealthy man who had two sons, and one of the sons, the younger son, asks for his inheritance early. In other words, like, hey, Dad, <laughs> hey, can we just... Can we just go ahead and pretend that you're already dead so I can get my money now and go live the life that I want to live? That's in effect what the younger son says. It was incredibly dishonoring to the father. Note the connection here to Romans 1. Incredibly dishonoring to the father, but the father lets him go. The father let him go. Gave him what he wanted let him go. Now, this moment in the story of Jesus' parable, you could wonder, should he have done that? Should the father have done that? Should the father just, he knows what the son wants. Should, you, should he bankroll his sin? Should his rebellion, should he give him what he wants and let him go? Maybe, maybe I, I know some of you have been there as a parent. You've been in that spot. And though I have not been there, I know with you that it is agonizing. It has been agonizing. Because you're thinking, this, this person you love, and they're going off, and what, what kind of mess are they going to make of their life? Are they going to ruin, they're, we're afraid they're going to ruin their lives, do something that can't be undone. If you have someone that you love, someone that you've had to let go of, maybe it seems you look at that one you love and it seems like God has let them go. And you hear this and you think, has God given up on my child? The important thing to remember is the rest of the parable tells us that the father still loved the son and was eager for his return, welcomed his return. But the son had to learn the hard way. what What he really needed even though he didn't think he wanted it, what he really needed was the Father. That's what he needed. And he, had to, he couldn't live without the Father. That's what he needed to learn. Sadly, he had to learn the hard way. Look, look at our world. Look at, the, look at what we've chosen to do to say, God, we don't want you. We're going to take what you've given us, this world, its resources, all the, all the gifts and abilities that, we, that, that God has given us. We're going to take this all and we're going to go do our thing. We're going to go live our life our way. And folks, look, what the, look at the mess we have made. What, what, just, what stories are we going to see in the news this week of ethnic tension, uh, uh, religious persecution, corporate greed, government corruption, war, protest. What, what's it going to be? Probably all of the above. Some will blame God for this. God, how could you let all this evil happen? And he says, you didn't want me. I let you have what you wanted. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is part two. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
Having sex contrary to creation is just another way of rejecting the Creator. There it is. So, used to be preachers would worry, coming to this passage, like, oh, how, how am I going to talk about sex in church in front of the children? Now, now we've got different kind of worries. We, we worry about uh, whether we'll be blocked on Facebook, pulled down on, on YouTube, uh, not for being ex- too explicit, but per- for perceived hatred toward so-called sexual minorities. Now, whether you are watching this right now on video or whether you are sitting here in this room, I, I'm doing what I try to do every week, which is just to explain what the Bible says, to, to bring out what the Bible says in a way that you can understand and hopefully feel the weight of it and also the, the hope and promise of it in, in the full picture. But here's the thing. Either this book, this word, this message today is either it's, either it's dangerous threatening to your identity, something that has to be silenced, or it is the truth that you desperately need to hear because it, it's the truth that confronts you in order to bring you life, to bring what God knows is good for you and then will serve to bring Him glory. So just home in for a moment on that second sentence of 26 uh, the end of 26 and beginning of 27, uh, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. In, in this wording, Paul is linking back to what he said in verses 18 to 25. God made the world, not just not just the planet and the stars. He, he made everything that is, everything that exists in the universe, all of creation. God made the world and there is truth embedded in it. Creation shows the glory of God, he said. But people have suppressed that truth. They exchanged the glory of God for lesser gods. Now, do you see that same word exchanged here in 26 and 27? Here's the thing. If humankind made that first exchange of idolatry, the real true God for mere images and idols, should be no surprise that they make this exchange. Sexual immorality. The, the purity and beauty of, of godly, holy sexuality as he designed it for a sexual immorality and here specifically homosexual behavior. It's a denial of creation to say, there is no God. Well, maybe I'll make one for myself. It is a denial of nature to say, the way, things God, the way, thing, way God made things to be, made us to be. It's a denial of nature to say, well, you know, men were fine to hook up with men or women. Uh, women can, can sleep with men or women. Uh, no, it's, it's a denial of nature. Should, and, and the word here is just as you should be able to know God, the existence, the reality, the power of God from looking at the stars, looking at creation, you should be able to know and understand human sexuality, well, at least partly from, at least from biology class, follow the science. Or better, trust your creator. That, that's, that's really what, ultimately what we're saying. Trust Trust your creator. Your, what, what our culture right now in this moment, I mean, there's, there have been, there's been uh, homosexuality, uh, transgender stuff all, all through human history. Remember, this is not talking about 21st century America. It's talking about human history. You can find this in Genesis. It was, it was going on in, in the Roman Empire when Paul's writing this. It feels new to us just because there have been a, there's been a, uh, some generations and in our culture where it's just, that's been uh, set aside. There's been at least a cultural sense of like that's an understanding, an agreement that that's wrong, that's changing. But it's not new. What is, what, part of what's going on though right now is a sense that uh, my desires 
define who I am, my, my identity. How do I find out who I am? Let me look within to how I feel, what I think, what my desires are, and, I'm, and I have to follow those. If I don't follow my own desires, whatever they are, wherever they lead, then I'm not being authentic. I'm not being true to me. The, the problem is, folks, our desires are messed up. We know that in our relationship with money, in our relationship with food, in our relationship with sex. It's true. Our desires, yes, there are, there are good things that we want, and there are things that we want and that, that we, we like to take in that we should not have. And so if we don't, if we don't question our desires, if we don't say, if we don't make our desires God, this is what I will serve. This is who tells me who I am. If we, and if we listen instead to our Creator, who gives us, who reveals part of the truth through the creation, including our bodies, then we're not listening to God. Your desires can deceive you. God will, your, your maker loves you, and he is telling you who you are. And the question is, will we trust him Trust the one who loves us that he is speaking to us for our good. That's the issue. You remember Jesus' words regarding marriage and divorce? This is from Matthew 19. Often comes up in marriage wedding ceremonies. What God has joined together, let not man separate. And of course, they're talking, he's talking about a husband and a wife. But we've done that in all sorts of ways, separating what God has put together. We, our, our culture, we, we separate uh, anatomy from gender. Oh, those are two different things. Wait, what? God, God's joined those together. We, we separate uh, sex from marriage and family, children, and the way that that is meant to work together in harmony to build not only families, but communities and society. Our society has has broken these apart. Sex is, is more, yes, you know, love, right? We know love is love. That's, that's, love is as out there, but the sex is, is about pleasure merely and entertainment and advertising. Well, we believe sex is about love and pleasure and in the context of covenant relationship, that's, that's where it flourishes in the, in the protection and security of trust and faithfulness. The Bible says that human, God made human beings as part of a created order, not to function independent, independently, but within an ecosystem, a healthy ecosystem of families. God puts together a man and a woman in covenant marriage to be united in vows, to be one in body and soul, to bear children, and to rear them in a loving home where they can see God, both godly masculinity and godly femininity in harmony. And those families and extended families are building blocks of Society, the web of relationships that strengthen community. But, it, but here we, we start to have to answer objections. One comes up quickly. Well, wait a minute. You're trying to tie all this together, that sex has to be connected to marriage and to family and so forth. Well, what about uh, uh, a married couple, traditional married couple, husband and wife, who can't have children? Does that mean that procreation is not necessary for sex and, and who you want to have sex with? Well, uh, quick answer, infertility is a tragedy, but it, it does not reflect, it, it, what it does, what infertility does reflect is a broken creation, not a denial of creation. That's a big difference. Infertility uh, represents bodies that don't function as they were made to. It's not a denial of the way God has made us. Another objection, well, why are so many Christians who are doing, you know, the one man, one woman thing, why are, why are they so messed up? Why are their homes not happy and perfect and everything else? Well, we'll go on record. I'm not claiming that Christian marriages are just automatically uh, happy, perfect, uh, peaceful places. In fact, some in this room are, are pretty broken. But that's not because there's no ideal that there's no right, that there's no place, no way, no way that it ought to be. In fact, if you, are, if you are struggling in that place right now, that very pain is telling you, 
it's, this is not right. This is not how God wants this to be. In fact, to use some words that come up later in the passage, if there is strife and maliciousness and disobedience to parents in your house, don't come to the conclusion that God, well, I guess God doesn't exist. There's no moral order to the universe. No, rather, it means we're not operating according to God's good design. And that sin is a particular tragedy for those who say, like, we believe this stuff. Now, understand, we're all in process, and we're, we all should be, none of us are perfect in this life. We're, God puts us on the road to where he's going to take us, and we're all somewhere along the way. And by God's grace, if we make some progress, we'll, we'll praise him for that. And some of us are really struggling even to make that kind of progress. But, but we're going to keep fighting, keep pressing on and pressing in, because we, we're not going to just surrender to the idea that, well, what we do doesn't matter. How we treat each other doesn't matter. It's all, I mean, it's all a grab bag anyway. It's just, you know, whoever is the biggest, strongest, fastest to the, you know, to what the, the stuff that everybody wants. I mean, that's, that's how our world operates. But that's not, that can't be how it is in our homes. Now, one more possible reaction to this passage, like, why are you Christians so hung up on sex and specifically homosexuality. Well, Paul is not picking on homosexuals in this passage. It is not the only sin, nor is it the worst sin. Not that that we're ranking here, okay? Um, So, okay, but it's pretty prominent, right? Why, Why is it so prominent in this passage? Because it is, it's just such a blatant example of a denial of creation and the creator. That, that's, that's what he's, all, all of this discussion is going back to. It just starts with a denial of your creator and, and, his, and how he's revealed himself and how he's revealed you in creation. And if you want to see just a, a complete blatant denial of creation and the creator, well, here it is. As Christians, we are committed to acknowledging God and His authority, our responsibility as creatures to glorify our Creator with our lives, including our sexual lives. Believing that living for His glory will also mean living for our good. He's not, he's not messing up your, your fun to tell you save sex for marriage. He's not messing with you. He's trying to protect you. He's trying to bless you. Trying to, help, trying to give you a place where that, that kind of intimacy can flourish in the safety and security of someone who says, I am absolutely committed to you and no one else. He wants to do you good. He wants to do you good. That's what you need to hear today if you're pursuing love in same-sex relations or if you're secretly feeding a porn addiction or planning your gender reassignment surgery. On top of that, if you, when you dishonor God, you need to understand what this passage says is what you're doing, what you're really doing when you dishonor God, you refuse to glorify God, is that you are dishonoring yourself. You are degrading yourself. These are, verse 26, dishonorable passions. You are, verse 24, dishonoring your body. You're just degrading, demeaning yourself. This is not making you something better, more true and more authentic, more whole, more happy. That's no, not, it's not where you're going. The Bible says that you were made for glory. You were made to be your true self as God has made you to be. Created in God's image to reflect His glory in His world. But in refusing to glorify God, you degrade yourself and disgrace yourself. I'm, Please understand, I'm, if you're going in the other direction, uh, I'm not asking you to give up love for religion. I'm asking you to give up sin to find the best and truest love that God has for you. And that love is found in Him and in the fellowship of those who know Him. Let me challenge everyone this morning, because as I prayed earlier, there are broken hearts in this room. Parents who have seen prodigals walk away. 
there are fathers and mothers who are every day looking to the horizon, hoping that someone will come over the, over the crest of the hill. Pursue the truth that leads to the glory of God and the good of people and do it in the spirit of love for God and love for people. That's the way we honor the Father. Now, we go back to the text. And we see Paul move from one particular sin to all kinds of sin. Whew. Again, because, not because homosexuality is the first sin or the worst sin, but it illustrates the denial of creation and the Creator that just metastasizes into all this cancer. So, 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. They're they're creative in their evil. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is part three. God gave them up to a debased mind. All kinds of evil come from those who dismiss God and applaud sin. Now, I'm going to go ahead and comment on what people usually notice first about this paragraph. Disobedient to parents? Like, what? Like, some kid not taking out the trash when he's told to is somehow on par with murder? That gets in the same list? Wow. Uh, how, do, how do these both fit in on the same list? I mean, it's not this, I mean, there's a lot, there's a pretty, pretty big difference there. Well, remember, what makes sin, sin is not the amount of blood, not about whether it gets you on the news or puts you in jail. Uh, it's about a denial of creation and the creator. It's going against the glory of God and also, therefore, against your own good. If you ask someone in our culture, well, okay, so tell me, why is murder wrong? I mean, why not just get rid of people you don't like? Or they did something bad to you, why don't you just get rid of that problem? Why is murder wrong? Well, and people probably say something like, well, uh, you don't have the right to uh, take what belongs to somebody else. That's, that's what makes murder wrong, that's what makes stealing wrong, and so on. Okay, but why is that wrong? Why is it wrong to take uh, what belongs to somebody else? Why is that wrong? The better answer for why is murder wrong is because God is the giver of life, so you don't have any right to take it. Now, slaughter a pig? Fine. Kill someone who has been made distinctively made in the image of God. That's what sets human beings apart. That's sin. That's not just a crime in the United States. That is a sin against God. What if disobedient, being disobedient to parents is not just about a little, you know, orneriness, which we understand that, but what if a persistent, ugly, hate-filled resistance to and defiance of parents is just a little snapshot of humanity's rebellion against God? That's what it is. That's what it is. If parents have the God-given responsibility and authority for their kids, then kids also have a God-given responsibility to honor and obey them, as we see in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. And in obeying that command, you honor God by honoring your parents. Dishonor your parents, and you dishonor God, and you dishonor, you disgrace yourself. I don't have time to walk all through this list, of course, you understand that, uh, to elaborate on all of these things, but I hope you're getting the picture of what sin is really about. All you have to do is look at this list and ask yourself, do I want to live in a world where this is the way things are? 
Do I want a, a home like this? Do I want a neighborhood like this? Do I want a nation filled with this? Verse 28 uh, repeats that, that movement, that sequence from ignorance to immorality. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, that willful, willful ignorance, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. There's one more thing that I want you to see in this part of the sermon, and it's something of a play on words in the original Greek language that's harder to see in the English translation that we're working from. So verse 28, they, they, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, see fit. So that's something of a, uh, an evaluation, a, a, a close examination, a critical examination. Hmm, I'm looking at this, like, mm, no, I don't think so. They looked at God and they said, mm, nah. Now, uh, when it says God, later in that verse, God gave them up to a debased mind. In Greek, that word translated debased has the same root as see fit. Like, how, do, how does that work? Well, the idea is when you, if you were to evaluate this, this mindset, it does not pass the test. Their minds have become, he's let them over, he's given them over to a mind that is deficient, defective, it's therefore useless and worthless. If you were to look at that, you'd say, that's junk. They looked at God and said, worthless. God turns around and says, well, I'll let you reduce yourselves to worthlessness through your self-destructive, socially destructive behavior. You, you don't like the, like, you're, you might say, you're like, whoa, 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 hey, you don't like the idea of God judging you? This verse says, you've judged God. You've, you, 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 looked at, you looked at the world around you and said, huh, God, nah, I, not, not worth my time, not worth my attention, not worth my worship, not worth my love, not worth my obedience. We judge God first. But that evaluation word uh, come, uh, in the Greek comes up again at the end of the paragraph, verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That give approval is the same, same root word. But it, this one, this time, it includes the idea of some kind of joint activity, as, it, as in a whole crowd of people together giving a standing ovation to sin. Or maybe you could picture a parade that takes pride in shameful acts, that glories in their shame. There have been a lot of changes in our culture in recent years. What used to be taboo now being celebrated, not just celebrated, uh, affirmed in such a way that uh, if you're not affirming, like, hey, what's your problem? You can't celebrate us? Why do you hate us? Whoa. Seems like it's affirm or else. Fundamentally, this is not, that, that movement is not a denial of American culture or traditional religion. It is a refusal to acknowledge God and so evokes God's Part four, deserve to die. That phrase from verse 32. The only hope for the condemned is Christ who took the penalty of death. And you can see, I'm cheating. I can't, I can't, not, I can't, I can't not talk about the gospel, folks. I can't leave you with wrath. I can't leave you with judgment because that's not, I mean, Paul expects you to keep reading, right? So, Bear with me. We'll get there, but it's going to take some time. But I can't, I can't just stop with wrath. So um, it may seem easier to accept what Paul taught earlier in uh, the passage, 18 to 23, we looked at last week, that all creation shows everyone, everywhere, the existence of God, his power and deity. I mean, just, just look. Look around you. Look at the, the, the trees and the stars and look at the little babies. and uh, We can see God's power and beauty and deity in that, but it may seem more of a stretch for what Paul says here in verse 32, that everyone knows God's law that says sinners deserve to die. But 
understand that we all have some sense of right and wrong. Anybody, I mean, even the, even the people that you can imagine, that you might imagine seeing on the news that completely deny the Bible, uh, you know, that, that, that think with disgust of traditional Christian morality culture, oh, they've got a very strong sense of right and wrong. I mean, they define it vastly differently. But they believe in right, and they believe in wrong, and they believe in punishing what they believe is wrong. Right? We're all there. We're all there. We all, have, we all have some sense of right and wrong. We all have a conscience as well as a desire for justice, fairness. We, we see that, right? If someone does wrong to someone else, we, we know the guilty must pay. That's why we have a court system. That's why we have lawyers. That's why we have congressional hearings. Someone, the person that did wrong must answer for what they did. They must pay. Paul is going to explain this idea further in the next chapter that says that we have this, we, we know this, we have this innate sense of that. We'll get there. But for now, as we wrap up, I want to focus on this, again, the consequences of sin, just in that phrase, deserve to die. And to some extent, as we've tried to explain, people are, humankind's, we're, we're already reaping the consequences of our sin. Verse 27 says, they are receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. They are. And that error there is not just an oops, simple mistake, didn't mean to do that. No, it's talking about they're they're choosing to deny the truth. That's what that error refers to. So that's not just the sexually immoral. That's all sinners. We are receiving the due penalty of our error. If you sow, think of the sins of the last section. If you sow the seeds of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, you are sure to reap the, social, the consequences of social unrest, racial tensions, family conflict, physical pain, psychological distress, emotional trauma. We're just reaping what we've sown. So, as I said earlier, in some sense, all this is God's wrath already being revealed. And the wrath still to come brings death, final and forever. One day it won't be people judging God, it will be God judging people. Not people seeing, seeing fit to ignore Him. It will be God judging us, but not, please understand, we, we hear judge and we already have a negative connotation there. We, we already have that twisted. God not, not misjudging you. Oh, he, because He knows everything, He will be perfectly thorough and perfectly fair and we will face the consequences for our sin, the death, this passage says, we deserve. Except. Except that this letter goes on to say that there's good news after the bad news. If we stopped, <laughs> we, we all know we all deserve to die. The letter goes on to say that there's good news after bad news, that God is like the father of the prodigal son. He may let you go, but he wants you back. He wants you back. And the good news is the gospel is the wonderful announcement that salvation from wrath, from death, is offered to anyone and everyone who will turn from their sin to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And I don't think it'll spoil the rest of the letter if I let you know what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Many of you could quote this with me. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death is the wages that we earned by our sinful behavior. But instead of giving us the death that we deserved, he will give us life, life to the full, life everlasting life forever with him, life that is for our good and for his glory through Jesus Christ. It's something we don't deserve. It's not wages. It's not what you earned. It's, it's a gift. It's what you didn't deserve. How does he do that? Why would he do that? Because Jesus took the penalty 
He took the penalty of death that should have been ours. On the cross, he died the death that we deserve to die. And he lives again to ensure the promise of eternal life for all who believe so that we can glorify God, like we said in the catechism question, enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, secure in him forever as we obey him to his glory forever and ever and ever. That's why we love Jesus. That's why we celebrate even his death. Other famous figures, will, we celebrate their, their birth. We celebrate their life. We remember distinctively, specifically Jesus' death because that's where he took the death we deserved. We're not here today because we are better than those people. We're here today because we are those people. Or in another sense, we were those people. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, he says to the church. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Folks, if you don't look the bad news just dead in the eye, you will not see the glory of God in the gospel. If you never consider the bad news that we deserve to die apart from God, why would you ever embrace the good news of Jesus Christ? And I'm just asking you, I'm, I'm begging you to put your faith in him today. And if you're here today and that's, that's, what, you're, that's what you believe, that's your hope, that's your rock, your foundation then we take this moment together as his people, as those whom he's made and brought to himself through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So if you would take the bread and the cup.